0: This is Liz Colburn, host of The Morning Uplift. Thanks for listening to the following broadcast on Public House Media. of Coffee with Keith and Katie here on Public House Media. Once you are done with this episode, I hope you'll come check out my show, Coffee with Keith and Katie, where we talk about the adventures of our daily lives and relationship. A new show comes out every Tuesday and Friday at 8.30 p.m. Central. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode of Coffee with Keith and Katie. Thanks again for checking out the following broadcast on Public House Media. The latest headlines. If they go out and wipe the floor with the Texans, I might buy in. The insightful interviews. Whitney McIntosh, SB Nation. I was more impressed with John oh, when you consider Aaron Judge's all-star blog. The hottest takes. Yeah, Saquon Barkley had a great game against Iowa, but he hasn't done much. Can all be found on Press, Press row. row.
1: Here's your host. It's clearly time for a change. It's only a matter of time before it happens. Christian Heimel.
0: Another week in the books, in the world of sports, and another episode of Press Row in your ears. Welcome everybody on Press Row. I'm Christian Heimel, broadcasting as part of the Public House Media Network. Thank you so much for being a part of us. As always, we really appreciate your guys' support, whether you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com, Stitcher.com, or you follow us As always on thephmedia.com. We certainly appreciate you guys subscribing, rating, reviewing us, sharing us with your friends and family and anybody else you may encounter. Making us one of the fastest growing sports podcasts in the nation. We really do appreciate that. Of course, as always from you guys. You can also get in touch with the show, of course, on social media. You can follow us on Facebook at PressRowPodcast-PublicHouseMedia. Find us on Twitter and Instagram, PressRowPHM. Or email the show, pressrowphm at gmail.com. You can always find me as well on Press Row at Chris Heimel. Look so much to forward to seeing and speaking with you guys over social media throughout the week as things get a little bit heated up in different aspects of the world of sports. Coming up today, we'll talk about all things brand new hope throughout the world of uh, sports here. A lot of things, hope emerging new as we begin spring training this week. Every major league team opening up spring training here. We'll speak with Robert Murray of FanRag Sports coming up in just a little bit to talk about looking into this 2018 season, which teams have the best advantages if the San Francisco Giants or the Milwaukee Brewers did anything uh, with their big trades uh, in the offseason to really challenge for the National League pennant or for a division title. The Cubs signing U Darvish earlier this week. What does that do for the defending NL Central champions? And then, of course, if anybody's going to catch the Yankees, in the American League, or uh, if the Houston Astros have done anything worth uh, repeating world championships as well. We'll also talk college basketball, some craziness in college sports, Uh me, college basketball over the course of this week. It was a shuffle in the top five, some teams going down, some great games being played, great basketball being played as well. Your questions, as always, also, and uh, uh, we'll start today, though, with a recap of last week, we talked NBA trade deadline. Who was going to make some trades? And as we said last week, if you guys were listening earlier in the morning or later at night, we didn't know exactly what was going to happen that Thursday. Um, but it turned out to be a pretty wild day uh, in the world of the NBA. Twelve trades on deadline day, as opposed to just four in the prior ten days. You look at some of them, and obviously the big one with uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers and everything that they did. But some of the other ones that I think are a little bit kind of interesting to look at just because of what they do for some people. Um, You know, the Wizards getting another pick. Granted, it's a second-round pick in 2019 from Atlanta, but that's another trade piece for them as they look to continue to build there as well. Uh, The Heat were somewhat active, getting a couple of different guys. Obviously, Dwayne Wade uh, going back home, but then Luke Babbitt um, as well. The Hawks were interesting uh, in, in terms of how much they were active. Same with the Pistons. After getting Blake Griffin a couple of weeks back, they go out and they get Jameer Nelson as well as James Ennis, which adds to what they're trying to do uh, in Detroit and maybe make a run. Uh, they're only a couple of games out of a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. Um, they've lost a few here and there, but uh, all signs point to good things in Detroit. But again, the biggest story obviously was what happened in Cleveland on deadline day. When you look at all the moves that the Cavaliers made and what Colby Altman did, this is really impressive. You look at the trade they made with the Lakers, trade the three-way trade with the Jazz and the Kings, and, of course, the trade with uh, the Heat, that was more just to really appease Dwayne Wade than anything. But we were wondering this going into it. We were wondering this really all the way back in September when the season was about to begin, and that was... Can the Cavaliers do anything to keep LeBron James at the end of this season? And if you go, when you go to ESPN.com, there's a piece uh, written by Adrian Wojnarowski talking about the 24 hours that led up to the deadline deals that Cleveland made. And one of the big things that really spoke out to me or stood out to me was the fact that LeBron James met face-to-face with Kobe Altman at Altman's request twice in those 24 hours prior to the deadline, uh, when he hadn't met with Cleveland ownership since opening night, um, which says a lot to me. I think it says a lot about the relationship that Altman and James have, which is huge for Cleveland. Obviously, we've talked about it. I mean, if Dan Gilbert's trying to sell the Cleveland Cavaliers, it's been talked about over the last month or so. Their value goes up based off of LeBron James, if he's actually in Cleveland or not or if, uh, you know, what involvement he may have with the Cavaliers. So that really stood out to me in the in Woj's report, in the fact that how much LeBron met with Kobe Altman, um, and Altman made some tremendous deals, he did a great job getting the Cavs younger, uh, the addition of Larry Nance Jr. is incredible, obviously they talk about George Hill and Rodney Hood uh, are big for them to get as well, but... I mean, Larry Nance Jr. is just an absolutely insane talent. I know the Lakers have been terrible this year. Um, one of the, you know, they're starting to climb up a little bit, but he's just an incredible high flyer. He's going to be fun to watch in the dunk contest this weekend, but it, it makes them a lot younger. It brings in much more talent for LeBron to work with. He was able to keep his guys in Kyle Corver and uh, JR Smith and Tristan Thompson, guys that he has in the past vouched for to get max deals. Uh, and it's worked for the Cavaliers. I mean, you look at what they've done since that. They're, they've won three straight. Uh, they're five games back of Boston, six games back uh, of of the Raptors, who are really playing well. Um, and it, Cleveland has really kind of put the Eastern Conference on note that said, hey, guess what? We're still here. We're still the team to beat. We're still the reigning Eastern Conference champions. So uh, a tremendous deadline day for him uh, and Colby Altman and the Cavaliers. I honestly, I, I don't know. We'll see how this plays out this year, but this team, the way it's put together right now, this might be what it took to keep LeBron James. Um, there's teams that have created a lot of salary cap space. There are teams that have found ways to, to maybe make things a little interesting uh, in the off season. But I think this was what was needed for the Cavaliers. And without knowing anything, I think this is, uh, at least from LeBron James' camp, Um, this is, truthfully, what I think the best possible option uh, for the Cavaliers in keeping LeBron there. So I'm not surprised at all, would not be surprised at all if he stays now, Um, and and it's great for him because, I mean, you you look at the additions. Again, Larry Nance Jr. is an incredibly young talent. Jordan Clarkson, uh, this is his third year in the league, uh, you look at him so far here he's averaging what is it? let's see here about 15 points a game uh so he's uh, another guy just a young guy shoot, shooting guard can handle the basketball which is huge uh let lebron play off the ball a little bit more george hill another guy that they love who can handle the basketball and just let uh that's what they need i mean listen when they lost kyrie irving and it's one thing to lose kyrie irving and, and it's one thing to get isaiah thomas a healthy isaiah thomas it's another thing to not have a true point guard, and that's what they lost when they got rid of Kyrie Irving, was a true point guard. Isaiah Thomas not being healthy hurt, obviously, but uh, now that you get a guy in George Hill, you get a guy like Jordan Clarkson who can handle the ball a little bit, you get someone like Rodney Hood who can shoot from outside and take some of the pressure off of LeBron and let him play off the ball, It, it definitely makes this team a lot better, and of course, uh, like I mentioned before, Larry Nance Jr., another guy to have down low, another guy who's a high flyer uh, and, and can do a lot of fun things around the basket. This team, built the way it is right now, is one that might keep LeBron James. If it's enough to challenge for a Golden State, I don't think so. I think the the Warriors are still the favorite uh, to win it all, obviously. But you look at the Eastern Conference now, and surprisingly enough, the Celtics and the Raptors being basically inactive at the trade deadline Makes things a little interesting there. Makes it um, a little bit more fun. I definitely think that the Cavaliers are now, have put everybody on notice, and we are the team to beat still in the Eastern Conference. So we'll see what happens. But they're playing like it. They're playing a lot better. And uh, it's really fun to watch uh, this team when they, when they get good like that. So uh, I still think they need to play better defense. It's one of the reasons why they're so far behind in the Eastern Conference. Um, but... The Celtics and the Raptors play great defense, and that's why they're the top two teams in the East right now. So we'll see exactly how it all pans out for the rest of the season. But great trade deadline for the Cavaliers, exactly what they needed. And if you look at how Tyron Lue kind of gushes over them, you look at some of the games that they've played. They dominated, uh, obviously, the Celtics a couple days ago, and then Cleveland beating Oklahoma City. Uh, winning that game on the road is even bigger for them uh with you know you looked at at nance jr eight offensive rebounds that's huge uh for them so we'll see exactly how it all pans out but they have definitely as uh head coach tyron luce said they're back to quote being the hunters and not the hunted in the eastern conference uh should be interesting to see their next game obviously coming up uh here this weekend or excuse me with all-star weekend they are now on the all-star break so giving everybody a couple of chances to maybe gel a little bit, get to know the guys a little bit, maybe practice some if they're not participating in the all-star game coming up. But uh, that'll be fun to watch as well. So see exactly what happens. Been an interesting half of the season, even though we're more than halfway through, but this is the unofficial midway point uh, now that we are into all-star weekend here. And uh, we'll see exactly what happens because I'm a little surprised to see that the Celtics and the Raptors didn't do anything. The Celtics had an opportunity to go out and get someone to really kind of put their foot on the you know on the throat of a lot of their opponents in the Eastern Conference, and they didn't do that. So uh, they might be banking a lot on getting Gordon Hayward back, and, and we'll see exactly how it all works out. But uh, switch a little bit. Another story that came out this week that really just kind of has me losing my mind a little bit when it comes to the NBA. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw it. Monday night, um, Steve Kerr let... Some of his players coach in what was a 46-point uh, a win over the Phoenix Suns. Um, let some of the guys coach. Uh, Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala, David West having control in the huddle. Um, some said it was, it was a disrespectful move, uh, saying Steve Kerr said it was disrespectful. And this is ridiculous to me. If you watch any basketball, you watch any sport at all, players... When players police themselves, it adds a different level of respect to the locker room, to the players, especially in basketball. When it's in the huddle, players see it better on the floor in live action than a coach can. That's not to say that coaching is irrelevant. Obviously, it's not. But when a player steps up and says, hey, this is what we need to do, whether they're sitting out like Andre Iguodala and Draymond Green and David West were, on Monday night, or whether they're actually playing. You see it so much more. LeBron James does this all the time. He gets on his guys. He tells guys how to what he thinks they need to do. You see it in college basketball where the stars, the seniors, they will step up before the coach even gets into the huddle. The fact that people are upset that some of these players took turns coaching, that's ridiculous to think of. That shows a level of respect that Steve Kerr has for his players and that the players have for each other that makes the Warriors the greatest team in the NBA right now. It's no secret, but this is just one of those things. So if you're really upset about it, you need to find something else to be upset about. Like, there are too many other things going on that you could have an issue with for you to sit there and say, oh, it's disrespectful that Steve Kerr is letting his players coach the team. How is that disrespectful? It's, It's unbelievable um, but you let the players police themselves it creates a better locker room it creates a more exciting uh, I shouldn't say more exciting but it, it creates a little bit better of a bond between the coaches and the players to show that they have the coaches have the respect of the players enough to let the players police themselves that is a huge thing so it's it's I don't understand why people are upset about it I don't get it and to me it's ludicrous so you need to stop. You really do if you're upset about guys who weren't playing being a vocal part of the huddle in a 46-point blowout. What is the point? Be more upset at the fact that the Suns couldn't even get within 20 of the Warriors if you're really going to find something to be upset about. A lot more to touch on here on Press Row. When we come back, we'll recap a busy week, a crazy week in the world of college basketball with some things changing uh, as well as some of the other things that uh, just a little out of hand, in my opinion. I'm a little fired up this week. I hope you guys uh, will stick with me throughout. We'll also speak with Robert Murray, FanRag Sports and Preview, the 2018 Major League Baseball season as training camp opens up for every team around the country. It's all coming up on Press Row.
1: Listen to every episode and get the latest shows sent right to you. Subscribe to Press Row on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com, and Stitcher.com. Or visit us online at www.thephmedia.com. This is Press Row with Christian Heimel, a public house media podcast.
2: Yeah. Back on Press Road, Christian Amel here with you guys,
0: broadcasting as part of the Public House Media Network. It's been an interesting season, as we've talked about all year long with college basketball. Uh, A number of teams going down, lots of upsets. It's been great to watch. I absolutely love college basketball. So much fun, uh, especially when these top 25 teams meet. I had a chance um, a while back to go to... Iowa, Michigan State in Iowa City, and to see the Hawkeyes really hold the number four team, then the number four team in the country, uh, so close and and have a chance to to beat them. They were leading by seven with six minutes to play, and Miles Bridges just came through in the clutch as he then did again this past Saturday, beating Purdue with a three pointer uh, near the buzzer, which was great. But th- this has been a great year for college basketball because things have been flipped upside down. You look at some of the leaders in uh, their Conferences, and it's stuff that you don't really expect a lot of. I mean, if you were to sit here and tell me that, you know, obviously Virginia and Clemson would be the top two teams in the ACC, I'd tell you Virginia would be up there, but, but Duke and North Carolina, North Carolina having seven losses, uh, Duke having five already, Texas Tech leading the Big 12 um, as well. I mean, some of these things are really kind of surprising. Ohio State technically leading. In the Big Ten, a, a half a game ahead of Michigan State. The SEC is probably the most insane one to look at when you think about it because you've got squads like uh, you know Auburn and Tennessee ahead of. Ken- Kentucky's just been embarrassing this year. Uh, Auburn leading them has been great. Bruce Pearl having a career revival as a head coach down there with the Tigers. But the Virginia Cavaliers taking over the number one spot. Earlier uh, this week, Villanova had fallen to number two after they lost to unranked Saint John's. Xavier at three, Purdue at four. uh, Or excuse me, um, excuse me. Michigan State at two, Villanova at three, Xavier at four. Uh, Those and then Cincinnati rounding out the top five. Those teams, other than Michigan State and Villanova, you're not really used to seeing those other three teams up there in that top twenty-five, that top five. Purdue at six, Texas Tech again at the SEC has been great, uh, sitting there there's going to be Texas Tech out of the uh, the Big 12 sitting there uh, at number 7. Ohio State is up there. Gonzaga in the top 10. Auburn at number 10. This is great for college basketball. And I don't know if you guys saw it, but the, um, the, the NCAA uh, on Sunday, on the 11th, had their bracket preview, their first one, where they released the top 16 teams, uh, which I think is great. It's going to add some excitement to the world of college basketball. It's going to make things... Uh, a little bit more interesting down the stretch. Now teams know where they stand. They kind of know what they have to do down the stretch and into their um, into their uh, conference tournaments. Some teams know that if they win it, they get a higher seed. If they bow out in the first round, it may drop them off uh, and, and be a, a 10 seed potentially. But you look at some of these regions, and it's great. I mean, I, I think in the south region, you look at Virginia, Cincinnati, Michigan State, and Tennessee. That that's an impressive uh spot right there. And and that's without these new rankings, your top four seeds realistically should now be Virginia, Villanova, uh, Michigan State, and Xavier. Those should be your top four seeds. So Purdue, with that loss to Michigan State, falls out of the a number one seed line and they uh, you know, Purdue falls to a, a number two, maybe a number three seed where Michigan State was when they released these brackets on Sunday. Auburn again, a number two seed is incredible to see. Kansas is a two seed, even though they don't technically lead uh, their own conference right now. But uh, you know, Texas Tech being a three seed, uh, they if they win their conference tournament, who's to say they shouldn't be a number one seed? So I love the fact that the NCAA selection committee is doing this, releasing these things early. Um, It makes it a lot of fun as we head down the stretch here. Only a couple weeks before conference. Uh, tournament play begins and and who knows exactly what to expect over the next few, th- uh, few weeks but it is a lot of fun to see here um, and you look at some of the games coming up this weekend that could have a huge impact on some of these conference standings, some of these seedings coming up uh, as well. I mean nothing crazy going on uh, here tonight except for Arizona and Arizona State it's great to see uh, Arizona still succeeding even though Uh, Sean Miller left Uh, Arizona state doing well under Bobby Hurley Um, again in the top 25 here, those two teams 17 and 25 going at it later tonight Uh, this weekend. You look at some of the other big ones, obviously Rhode Island playing incredibly well ranked in the top 16 um, on Saturday. Some of the big games, Texas A&M is interesting just because that sec. I mean, like I mentioned the sec is so topsy-turvy right now. Auburn at number 10, Texas A&M ranked 21st in the country. You've got Tennessee competing for a conference championship. Um, they'll be highly exciting. I mean, I love watching Admiral Schofield play there in Tennessee. You got a great game on Saturday in the Big East with Villanova at Xavier, number three against number four in the country. Um, you've got West Virginia in the Big 12 going to Kansas. Uh, West Virginia has been an interesting team to watch just because of how great they play defense. Javon Carter is tremendous. They have a talented talented bench but this is a game where if West Virginia is able to come away with a victory they split the season series with Kansas and this is what I talked about early on in the in the season conference play is huge because when you play the same team twice and you've got to play them on the road again it's incredible Kansas beating West Virginia uh, in West Virginia earlier this year by 5.7166 now West Virginia has that in their mind they want some revenge if they go to Fog Allen and beat Kansas then they split the season series they're tied in the conference standings and that's the difference between potentially a three seed in the NCAA tournament or a six seed in the NCAA tournament so conference season is so much fun to watch it's why I love college basketball I'll be definitely watching that one over the weekend as mentioned Villanova and Xavier in that 3-4 matchup. But, I mean, you, you can't help but be excited about how topsy-turvy this college basketball season has been when teams you don't usually expect up in the top 25 are right there doing it. I mean, Ohio St- uh, on Sunday, you've got Ohio State at Michigan, Duke at Clemson. The fact that Clemson's ranked higher than Duke this year is impressive. Uh, granted, right now it's only one, but Duke has struggled over the last couple of weeks, and we were talking about them as the odds-on favorite to win the national title this year with guys like Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter Jr. So it's been really exciting to see. The ACC is great. The SEC is tremendous. The Big Ten is really fun to watch. The Big 12 is kind of weird uh, right now, but a lot of fun stuff going on in the world of college basketball, and and I just absolutely love it. Um, I'm really happy that it's kind of taken away from some of the issues that we have seen at least start the college basketball season. You haven't really talked about it much. We're letting due process play out. We're letting all the investigations actually happen. Um, But I I think it's a great thing to see these guys uh, on the court actually playing well. And, And it's a huge, huge benefit to the world of college basketball that we're able to actually focus on the games being played because I think a lot of people were unsure of what was going to happen when the season actually started and if anything was actually going to you know, come to fruition um, and how these you know, teams were going to be able to find a way to distract us from what was happening uh, off the court prior to the season beginning because these allegations, again, all came out literally the exact moment uh, about a month before the season, when, when, when practice began, when, about a month before the season was about to start. That was when all these things came out. But it's great to see that these players... Uh, and these coaches are finding a way to at least distract us from the unfortunate things that have been happening off the uh the f- off the court in college basketball. You're on press row. I'm Christian Heimel, broadcasting as part of the public house media network. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, share us on social media. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com, Stitcher.com, and of course the PHmedia.com. Uh also Don't forget to check us out on social media, Twitter and Instagram at PressRowPHM, Facebook PressRowPodcast-PublicHouseMedia, as well as email the show PressRowPHM at gmail.com. If you want to get in touch with me on social media, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Heimel. Uh, A couple of headlines in the NFL earlier this week, Uh, Colts having their new coach, uh, Frank Reich, the former Philadelphia Eagles um, uh, offensive uh, coach there. He now joins the Reigns. He'll take over uh, for Chuck Pagano and for the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, and this is what's really interesting. I mean, we talked about it last week. I told you not to be upset about uh, Josh McDaniels leaving, mainly because I think, like I said, he was either told that he's going to be the next guy in New England or there's something going on with Carson Wentz's, uh, not Carson Wentz, excuse me, uh, Andrew Luck's arm. By all accounts, Andrew Luck. He has yet to throw a football, but he's getting stronger. He's getting more mobility, range of motion in uh, to that surgically repaired shoulder. But I'll tell you right now, I think that's a huge reason why uh, that Josh McDaniels decided at the last moment he was going to leave and not take the Indianapolis Colts job, go back to New England. So shouldn't really be surprised there. Um, But at the same time, you never know what's going to happen with these things. And I wonder if I hope that Andrew Luck is okay because the NFL needs these young guys and and luck is such a talent and you'd love to have that happen, but we'll see exactly how it all plays out uh, there in Indianapolis. And then the New York Giants finding Mike Shula as their offensive coordinator after they were denied a request by the Minnesota Vikings to talk to their quarterback coach. And that was what that kind of stuck out to me here. The fact that the Vikings said, you can hire our offensive coordinator, Pat Shermer, to be your head coach, but you cannot take the quarterback coach. That to me was one of two things. The Giants then, what that showed me is either A, are interested in potentially bringing Case Keenum to New York because the quarterback coach, obviously, and Pat Shermer made Case Keenum into a tremendously talented quarterback this year, had a great season, or it means that Pat Shermer really believes that. The quarterback coach in Minnesota can really help Eli Manning. Instead, they go with Mike Shula, offensive coordinator, former head coach at the University of Alabama. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out as well in New York. But a couple of small things in the NFL there. And uh, I know some of you guys have questions about Johnny Manziel. We will touch on that. One of you guys, a couple of you guys have asked questions about that on social media here this week. We'll get to that portion later on in the show. We'll touch on uh, Johnny football as well as all of your fan questions coming up. In just a little bit. But when we return, oh, it's my favorite week of the year. Spring training is here. Pitchers and catchers report. Baseball is back, ladies and gentlemen. Robert Murray of Fanrag Sports, he'll join us to preview the 2018 season on the Diamond coming up in just a bit on Press Row. Want to be part of
1: the show? Go to Facebook and search Press Row Podcast Public House Media. Or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PressRowPHM. You can also email the program PressrowPHM at gmail.com. This is Press Row with Christian Heimel, a public house media podcast.
0: Back on Press Row, Christian Idle here with you, broadcasting as part of the Public House Media Network. Hope springs eternal for baseball fans this week. Pitchers and catchers reporting for all 32 Major League teams here coming up this week as the Houston Astros begin their World Series defense in earnest. And with that, we say a Happy New Year of sorts to Robert Murray of FanRag Sports. Joining us once again here on the show, Robert, thanks a lot for the time.
2: Hey, thank you for having me.
0: And I guess, uh, Robert, we'll start off with what's been kind of the biggest story of free agency is that there haven't been many stories. You uh, Darvish signing earlier with the Cubs, obviously, but what's been kind of the biggest reason in your mind why some of these big, big free agent teams, uh, free agent names are still yet without a team?
2: Yeah, we're seeing a lot of people talking about players turning down offers or big offers, like a Eric Hosmer turning down six, seven years worth, I don't know, $140, $147 million. We've seen those reports. But for the most part, uh, teams aren't making offers to the players. And when teams are making offers to the players, that's when things get a little bit slow and hectic in the sense that nothing's happening. Um, I think a lot of the public perception is wrong. I think the agents, the players are having a real hard time even finding spots because teams aren't even returning their the phone calls. It's the public perception right now, as I've said is wrong for the most part, I should say it's not completely wrong. Um, but yeah, I would say a lot of the blame should be going towards the teams rather than the players.
0: Is this more teams trying not to spend as much money and stay under the luxury tax? Or is this teams maybe investing more in their minor league system and some of the younger guys that maybe they have more control over contract-wise?
2: Yeah, I think it's teams that are they're just not willing to spend the money it's going to take to sign these top free agents. I mean, you see guys, I mean, I mentioned Hosmer before, uh, J.D. Martinez, Logan Morrison, all these guys are not getting much, if any, interest. And it's just, it, they want to sign, they want to play. And it's a player's game we all know that and the teams are not really identifying that they're not willing to pay those players and that's a huge reason why we're having such a standstill right now
0: you brought up jd martinez and it's kind of been the worst kept secret in baseball since october ended that he would be a member of the boston red sox but what's been the biggest hold up there with him in boston and do you ultimately see him in a red sox uniform this year
2: yeah i ultimately think he's gonna end up in boston i think is. Boston's going to have to take a little bit more, or offer a little bit more, I should say, because, I mean, we've seen reports about those two exchanging offers. Um, and I believe I saw a report today that they offered a five-year deal worth about $100 million. It's going to take a little bit more to get Martinez on board. Um, and they also, I mean, their main competition is the Diamondbacks, and there's reports out, I believe, from John Heyman, my uh, my colleague, who uh, said that their offer is similar to what Boston is offering. So, I mean, they they got competition, but ultimately I believe that Martinez ends up at Boston,
0: yeah. He's Robert Murray of FanRag Sports, joining us here on Press Row. Uh, we talked about you Darvish, the first real big domino to fall in the world of free agency, and I'll ask you kind of a two-part question here with his new signing. What does this mean for former Chicago ace and former Cy Young winner Jake Arrieta, where he could end up, and uh, what does this mean for the Chicago Cubs as they look to win another NL Central title this year?
2: Yeah, for Arietta, I would say it means his market is not going to be what he's hoping for. Uh, I mean, we saw what Heyman also reported that the, the Cubs came to Ar- Arrieta before uh, uh, they signed Darvish and offered him the same deal that they gave Darvish, and he turned it down. And now that he's still on board, or still on the free agent market, I should say, uh, who's all going to be interested in him? I mean, you got the Brewers. I mean, that's probably going to end up being too expensive. Same for the Twins. I was talking about it with another agent yesterday. How about the Philadelphia Phillies? Uh, maybe a shorter contract of three or four years with more an- or more money per year. Uh, maybe about twenty-seven, twenty-eight million over three or four years. I could see that getting done. I don't know if Scott Boris would be interested in that, but uh, yeah, that's going to be uh, an interesting market for sure. And then to answer your question about Darvish for the Cubs. That's huge, and it's it, it's a good move. It's going to end up being cheaper than Arrieta, um and he's younger and he's got less wear and tear on his arm as well. I mean, I know he pitched a lot of innings over in Japan, uh, but Arietta was starting to slow down. I mean, the numbers suggested it as well. Um, and it also was kind of telling that uh, the Cubs throughout really seemed, at least publicly and uh, somewhat privately, per- that they preferred Darvish to Arrieta. I thought that was uh, it made me shake my head or it made me think a little bit, I should say.
0: Well, when you bring up, you know, Jake Arietta and we talk about Eric Hosmer and uh, and and Mike Mustakis, even uh, all those guys are Scott Boras' clients, and, and uh, we talk about the teams not making offers. But how much is the superhero agent of sports, uh, Scott Boras? How much is he kind of holding the cards in his hands?
2: Yeah, and I mean, I'm not going to say there's no blame to place on Boras because he's seeking the best deal for his clients, and he's standing still with that kind of stance as well. I mean, I respect it, I'm, the teams are getting a little tired of it um, just because he hands them a 300-page binder and says, here's why you should sign my client. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we have seen him with Hosmer, as I mentioned, uh, Martinez, and Mike Loustakis. I'm glad you brought him up because his market is next to nothing. I mean, the only two teams I can really see signing him at this point are the Braves and the Yankees, and that had have to be in a, maybe a one-year deal uh, for $14, $15, 16000000 million bucks in that range. He's, uh, he's got his work cut off for him, that's for sure.
0: We're talking baseball with Robert Murray of FanRag Sports here on Press Row as spring training opening up for all 32 major league teams across the country this week. Robert, one of the teams I want to ask you about, uh, a squad that's made some some big moves and some significant moves, uh, maybe not in free agency but in the world of trades, the San Francisco Giants. And and when I talk about them with people, we forget that Madison Bumgarner was out basically the entire year with that injury. Uh, But trades for Andrew McCutcheon and Evan Longoria, has that front office and that team done enough to really push the Giants back into the landscape of baseball where maybe they're competing for a a divisional title, if not a World Series title?
2: Yeah, I think personally that they're not going to be ultra-competitive just because, I mean, that's not a split at them, that's just a sign of how good the NL West is. I mean, you got the, the Dodgers, the Rockies, and the Diamondbacks, and the Rockies and Diamondbacks flew onto the scene last year. Um, I, don't, I think the Giants are going to be much improved. And we also see that they're talking to Tony Watson as well to improve their bullpen. Um, I think they're going to end up being real good, maybe about 500, if not a little better. But I, I don't think they're going to end up being a division winner or a wild card contender either. So, uh, I mean, maybe we see them sell off at the trade deadline as well uh, and try to improve their bullpen, or not their bullpen, but their, uh, their prospects. And, uh, but yeah, I just don't think they're going to be very competitive now.
0: You know, you talk about the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Rockies kind of bursting onto the scene last year. Another team that did, at least in the first half before fading down the stretch, were the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, they go out, they get Christian Yelich via trade through Miami and then sign Lorenzo Kane for that outfield. What is left for the Brewers to do, or is there enough for the Brewers to do where they maybe go out and really challenge, uh, the Chicago Cubs for that NL Central championship?
2: I think the Brewers, what they're going to end up doing is signing another starting pitcher. And I think, we mentioned Arietta before, I don't think that's going to be their guy. I think Alex Cobb is a much more realistic target. And I think if they're able to land him, uh, I mean, his market at this point has been nothing as well. Um, but if they're able to land him, they're going to be in really good shape. And I personally feel like if they're able to land him, they're going to be in a very competitive race with the Cubs for the NL Central and and possibly even a deep playoff run as well. I am uh, extremely high on the Brewers. And I mean, in addition to the starting pitching, I mean, we could see them trading off some of their outfielders as well, or maybe Braun moves their first base and they moved one of Aguilar or Thames. Uh, they got a plenty of options right now. David Stearns has done a pretty good job with them.
0: A couple of weeks ago in Orlando, the winter meetings, all anybody could talk about were was the Yankees acquisition of Giancarlo Carlos Stanton via trade. And, um, We haven't really heard much from New York since then, uh, but what is there left to do for the New York Yankees? Is is there another trade on the horizon, another move on the horizon for Brian Cashman? Because as we all know, baseball is probably best when it's the Red Sox and the Yankees competing for
2: championships. Yeah, you're not wrong about that one. Yeah, I mean, maybe another starting pitcher or maybe a third baseman as well, a Mustakas type or or something. But I think for the most part, their heavy lifting is over. I think if they're able to land a player on a bargain deal like Mustakas on a one-year deal. That could be something that intrigues them, or uh, maybe they find another player they like. Uh, But, yeah, I think right now, even how they are right now, they're going to end up being very strong contenders for the AL East. And it would not shock me if uh, we have a Yankees-Astros ALCS, and it's going to be a lot of fun, I can tell you that.
0: With regards to Houston, I mean, they haven't really done much this offseason other than getting Garrett Cole. I mean, yes, they have a lot of guys under contract for a few more years, but is there anything else they need to do to maintain where they are right now as World Series
2: champs? Yeah, I mean, I feel I felt like they did a pretty smart thing in adding Garrett Cole. I mean, it showed they weren't complacent after winning a World Series. Um, I mean, I don't think they have to do too much more. Well, I mean, besides that to the bullpen, because we all know that uh, that bullpen needs a lot of help. Uh, but I think Right now, if they're able to add a couple couple more pieces into the bullpen, I know they're interested in a couple of relievers out there. Um, if they're able to add to that unit, I think they're going to end up being very strong contenders to repeat as World Series champions.
0: Robert Murray of FanRag Sports joining us here on Press Road Talk and Baseball. And, uh, Robert, we can talk about all the players once they actually do sign in as we get into the actual season, but a number of managers uh, with new jobs here and some with first-year managers, some with very little to no coaching experience, uh, i.e. Aaron Boone in the Bronx. But which of these new managers do you think is in the best
2: position to succeed here in 2018? Yeah, I would say Boone is one because, I mean, look at all the talent on that team. I mean, it is just flat-out absurd and I thought he did a pretty good job with the coaching staff as well, uh, especially with Phil Nevin. He's one of the more respected baseball people I've gotten to know or gotten to talk to, I should say, at spring training last year. Uh, He's really smart, and he's got good people around him now, so that'll be good, Um, as well as I would say Dave Martinez in Washington. Uh, He's got a good amount of talent there as well. Um, I mean, the only concern I have is people think that he was uh, a shadow for – Joe Madden, he really didn't do too much. He was just there. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people that respect him as a person and say you're just going to be a really good manager. But I also am a little skeptical, but I think he's got the talent around him that can cover it up. He's Robert Murray of FanRag Sports.
0: Find him on Twitter at Robert Murray, FRS. As always, Robert, we appreciate the time. We look forward to speaking with you as the season draws closer and throughout the summer. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right. That's Robert Murray of FanRag Sports. And again, I mean, listen, I love you guys know this. I love baseball. I can't stop talking about it. Um, it's one of my favorite weeks of the year is when pitchers and catchers report. So to finally have the ability to just sit here and talk baseball with you guys on the show is going to be a lot of fun for me over the next couple of uh, months. And listen, uh, I- I'm going to have to uh, respectfully disagree with uh, with Robert there on-, on the San Francisco Giants. I love what they've done. The addition of Evan Longoria, I think is great from a clubhouse standpoint. The same with uh, same with Andrew McCutcheon, you know, that's a huge thing for them, uh, to be able to have those two guys, guys who have been in playoff races, guys who have, uh, won division championships, who have competed for those titles, uh, is, is great to have. Um, I mean, you look at what their starting lineup is like, and you got Longoria over there at third. Brandon Crawford is a great talent. It's at, at short. Joe Panic is even better at second base. Brandon Belt at first, of course, Buster Posey uh the catcher and then in the outfield hunter pence uh andrew mccutcheon as well um and then you look at a guy like uh an Austin Jackson playing in center field so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. My big question mark with the Giants is of course uh their pitching. Uh Madison Bumgarner, Johnny Cueto, happy that he's back uh pitching for the Giants. Uh Jeff Samarja is is a little I'm not sure about him. I, I'm still not sold. Chris Stratton uh and of course um Stratton and Tyler Beatty at the back end of that rotation are going to be the big question mark so if they go out maybe get another starting pitcher maybe try to shore up that bullpen uh as as he as Robert mentioned trying to get Tony Watson there uh but I love what the Giants have done with their team so far this year it's been a lot of fun same with the Brewers um you know that outfield right now as it stands with Ryan Braun Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Cain that's going to be fun to watch but um You know, so far, a lot of it is based off of pitching. And again, as much as the Yankees have made some tremendous moves and have a great lineup, that's a big question with the Yankees as well. I mean, yes, their starting rotation is pretty stacked. I mean, Severino, Tanaka, Sonny Gray, CeCe Sabathia coming back. You've got Jordan Montgomery, Adam Warren is there. Tommy Canley can come out of the bullpen if you need him for a long, long period of time. The back end of their bullpen may be the best there is with uh, David Robertson, Dylan Batances, and Aroldis Chapman but uh, I mean, I still have questions with this Yankee lineup. As great as Judge, Stanton, and Bird are going to be, Didi Gregorius and and, uh, Ture is down there at the bottom of that lineup. Gary Sanchez is going to hit a few homers here and there. The question at third base, both defensively and offensively, if you don't have Stanton playing in the outfield, who's going to be in center? Uh, Is it going to be Aaron Hicks? Is it going to be Jacoby Ellsbury? Uh, Is Clint Frazier going to come up? There are still a lot of questions there, and As much as people are kind of going gaga over Aaron Boone, I'm still not 100% sold on him as a manager. Yes, he can connect with these young players, but there's a difference between discussing the game and analyzing the game up in the booth when you haven't played it in so long and actually trying to manage egos, uh, manage expectations, and doing it in New York is going to be very difficult as well for him. So uh, uh, interesting to see what happens. Um, The Astros' Garrett Cole pickup was tremendous. Um, the Cubs signing you, Darvish, is huge for them. I think that makes them a clear favorite now in the National League, uh, yet again. Um, so we'll see what happens. Of course, if the Dodgers can continue to do what they've done and maybe finally get over the hump and win a World Series championship, we'll see all of that as well. Uh, there's a story that not many people are going to be talking about in, uh, baseball just because there are so many other big names to look at, but Shohei Otani, uh, reporting as a pitcher for the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, coming up, it'll be interesting to see. Mike Shosha has said that pitching will be, uh, well, where he makes his biggest impact. So we'll see exactly what happens with this new two way player who kind of stunned a lot of people and signed with the Angels. And then, of course, had that elbow strain of the UC, uh, ligament. So, well, the UCL. So we'll see exactly what happens here. Uh, signing bonus of 2.1 million. Gonna get the minimum salary of 545,000 this season. But, uh, we'll, we'll see exactly what happens with the 23 year old, uh, Japanese Babe Ruth guy who was hitting 588 at age 21 in the Japanese professional league. So, but he's been talked about as being a great pitcher. So we'll see all of that as well. Baseball's back. Could not be more excited, uh, about it here, uh, on Press Row. And when we come back, we'll touch on your guys' questions as well as, uh, another story that is getting buried a little bit and there's good reason for it coming up on Press Row.
1: Listen to every episode and get the latest shows sent right to you. Subscribe to Press Row on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com, and Stitcher.com. Or visit us online at www.thephmedia.com. This is Press Row with Christian Heimel, a public house media podcast.
0: Final few moments here on Press Row, broadcasting as part of the Public House Media Network. I'm Christian Heimel. Thanks so much for joining us once again. Whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com, Stitcher.com, or ThePHmedia.com, we certainly appreciate your guys' support uh, over the last few months since we got started and now helping us become one of the fastest-growing sports podcasts in North America uh, as always, we appreciate your guys' support and hope that you will continue to do so. Uh, we also hope you'll continue to reach out to us on social media and partake in everything that we do there. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram, PressRowPHM. Find us on Facebook, PressRowPodcast-PublicHouseMedia. Get to a couple of your fan questions here. Uh, column on Facebook, Martin Truex Jr. will finish blank this week, this year. Uh, this week, of course, being the Daytona 500, racing is back. The Great American Race Guys, well, I'm a huge fan of NASCAR. I really enjoy it. Sunday's going to be a fun day for me uh, to just sit back and watch uh, some of these guys race. Obviously, if you guys have been paying attention, the full grid, the full starting line will not be announced until today with the uh, duels The uh, the uh, duels coming up here in just a little bit, the Can-Am duels uh, here on Thursday down in Daytona. But Alex Bowman, the number 88 car, the pole. How about that for the kid racing in just his second Uh, ever Daytona 500 he puts the number 88 which of course was driven for the last number of years by the now retired the great Dale Earnhardt Jr. Um, Denny Hamlin who won in 2016 he will be second uh, after qualifying uh, with a couple of pretty impressive laps the rest of the field getting determined today Thursday uh, February 15th in those Can-Am duels so pretty impressive start for Alex Bowman Bowman excuse me as the replacement to Dale Earnhardt in that number 88. As for Martin Truex, uh, listen, he's been handling this whole off season as the defending champ so well. Uh, you listen to him in some of his interviews, and he's talking about how he's just back out there ready to race again. He's not feeling a pressure to try to repeat. He's just looking for better races every single year. Um, he was asked why it was so hard for drivers to repeat as cup champs. He said, I don't know, it's hard. Um, But I I think he'll do pretty well, honestly. Um, Jimmy Johnson, of course, winning five straight uh, championships from 06 to 2010. But uh, prior to him, it was Jeff Gordon in 97-98. And and here's the other part. It's a new format now. I mean, Jimmy didn't win any of those five consecutives in the current format, uh, the playoff format. But I do think... Truex is going to be impressive. Based on where he starts uh, coming up on Sunday, uh, you, if you watched um, the clash at Daytona over this past week, he started 6th, finished 14th. Obviously, a lot of it has to do with uh, how they'll handle everything, uh, how the teams react. I think Truex is definitely one of those guys. He will certainly be there uh, when it comes time for the playoffs. He will. I think he'll qualify... Uh, Obviously, you have to win one of these races to become one of those drivers or qualify based off of points. A win gets you an automatic qualify into the playoff system later in the year. Um, But uh, the other interesting part to note is all the changes in NASCAR, the rule changes this year. um, There are a couple of big ones here. Uh, Number one is the fact that the crews that go over the wall and actually help, the car during pit stops, they've cut that number down NASCAR has from six to five. So it means only uh, four crew members can actually carry tires, change tires, jack up the car while the gas man is the only other guy allowed on the other side. But he can't do anything outside of gassing up the car uh, except for stopping a tire if it starts rolling along uh, with his leg. So that's one big change in how it's going to work um there's a new inspection in place how teams will uh handle that and how many um violations are found uh it's it's a new system called hawkeye eight projectors 17 cameras that scan the body of the car um so we'll see how many times how many teams get penalized for that um takes about 30 seconds and then another 30 to determine if it's legal or not. Hopefully, it cuts the amount of inspection time and, uh, dramatically, but we'll also see hopefully it prevents teams from altering the car and, and trying to find a, an unfair competitive advantage. Um, the other part is there's, there's now more time for repairs here in NASCAR where usually if your car crashed, you only had five minutes to fix it to get it back on the track. Now you have six uh, before you have to take it to the end of pit road. Instead of just staying in your pit box there. Um, Other than that, you've got now uh, penalties for too many crew members making repairs. You have certain things. um, Now you're going to have this, every team's going to have the same pit gun used to change tires. Um, All all these things in there now, it's pretty interesting. There's a lot of new rules. You guys can go and check them out. But how teams respond to it, how teams work within those new rules, will be really interesting to watch. So I do think Martin Truex is one of those guys that ends up, again, qualifying for the playoffs later in the year. I think he's a guy who finishes in the top five. Uh, I would honestly venture to say that Prop Jimmy Johnson is, of course, going to be there again. One of the guys that I'm really interested in this year, and I've I've been a fan of his for a while now, is uh, Brad Keselowski. I'm really interested to see what he does this year. He's got uh, a couple of different changes going on with his team. Um, Same with guys like Eric Amarola. A couple of other changes as well. But I I do expect Truex, I think this week, he finishes in the top 10 at Daytona. I think he finishes in the top five overall when all is said and done at the end of the year. So we'll wait and see exactly how it all plans out. But it should be fun. Again, as much as I love baseball, I love NASCAR too. So it'll be uh, really interesting to see exactly how it all pans out uh let's see here so that was Colin on Facebook uh Brandon on Instagram wants to know uh Kelly Clark failed to make the podium in the women's half pipe um, women's snowboarding in the Olympics what does this mean for her and what can we expect from two 17 year olds taking Olympic gold well listen here's the thing uh with Kelly Clark I, I don't know if this means anything for her she's been a pioneer in the world of women's snowboarding uh, but at the same time she hasn't gotten a gold medal in the she's only had one olympic gold medal and that was in 2002 she failed to medal in 2006 in torino bronze in vancouver bronze in sochi she hasn't won a gold medal in any competitive event since the 2014 x games which uh you know and then she got a silver in 2015 she hasn't medaled in any competitive event since 2015 so as much as i don't want to you know rip on kelly clark again an absolute pioneer in the sport, not just for women, but in general, 34 years old, this is a sport that longevity does not suit it, um, which is why it made something incredible, uh, something incredible happening over uh, the other day when Sean White at 31 won Olympic gold uh, in the half pipe with that 97.75 final run. So I, I don't think it means anything for Kelly Clark other than, The new era is officially here. Uh, The sport has maybe passed her by a little bit at 34 years old. But again, she's a pioneer for the sport. She's an absolute great in the sport, a legend in the world of women's snowboarding. Um, But as we've seen, the evidence of Red Gerard and Chloe Chloe Kim, the two 17-year-olds who went on to win gold medals, this is a sport that the younger generation, uh, the younger athletes thrive in. Um, whether it's because they have more energy, whether it's because they're lighter and can get higher altitude on some of their jumps, they're more creative, or because, like everything else, the sport is progressing so much where uh, the old guards, so to speak, the Kelly Clarks, the Sean Whites, they're not used to, you know, Sean White, when he was winning his first X Games gold, a 900 was the best you could do. Now we're talking 1620s and 1440s. Um, and that's what these kids, Gerard and Kim, are practicing now. Uh, a 900 is commonplace for them. So I don't think it means anything bad for Clark that she didn't, po- uh, she didn't medal at all. Again, since she hasn't won a medal in competitive snowboarding in a couple of years since 2015 when it was a silver. Um, I think it just means that the world of snowboarding has progressed so much now to where these young kids just continue to dial it up and make it that much more impressive. Uh, all right, let's see here. One last question. Scott on Twitter asking about Johnny Manziel and uh, do you really think he has a chance to make it back into the NFL? Uh, here's where this all kind of stand. I don't know if you saw it earlier this week, but Johnny Manziel was talking to Good Morning America about his struggle, um, admitting to all of his faults and his issues that he had, saying that he's been diagnosed as bipolar and that he is getting help, Um He also said that he's going to participate in a developmental spring league here coming up in a few months. Um, He's going to play in the Elite D League, which is out of Austin, Texas, March 28th through April 15th, um, hoping that he can get back uh, to where he was a few years ago when he won the Heisman Trophy, when he was a first-round draft pick uh, and such a talented uh, individual. Do I think he makes it back into the NFL? I don't, uh, simply because as soon as you take some time off of the sport, it's so difficult to try to get back into it. Uh, he's a great talent, but he really struggled with some of the off the field stuff. Do I hope he gets a shot? Yes. Cause I like, we all like redemption stories. We all like, especially when a guy makes amends like he has and, and has done his best to try to get back to it. It's why I'm rooting so hard for Tiger Woods, uh, throughout this season to get back. But when he does it, when he makes amends the right way, which Johnny Manziel appears to be doing, um, I don't think he's a starting quarterback in the league, mainly because you look at some of these younger guys and you look at some of the the quarterbacks that are there, but could he be a backup? Most certainly, but he needs the right place. And where that is, I'll tell you what, and this might sound weird, Kansas City. Andy Reid's the guy who gave Michael Vick a second chance. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he gave Johnny Manziel the same opportunity if he's able to prove himself. The biggest thing, let's wait and see here in a month and a half when he's actually playing in this developmental league how well he actually does. Um, until then, who knows about uh, Johnny Manziel and what will happen. As always, we appreciate your guys' uh, support here, your guys's questions on social media. Um, again, Twitter and Instagram at PressRowPHM. Find us on Facebook, PressRowPodcast PublicHouseMedia, or email us PHM at gmail.com. Uh, one thing I do want to mention, and it kind of got lost in the shuffle over the week, but uh, last Friday night, Carlos Cordillero uh, was voted as the new president of the United States Soccer Federation. Um, and I, I think a big part of it is, is if you read some of the articles here, Jeff Carlisle on ESPN.com did a great job. Um, the Athlete Council helping to secure that vote um, was what was pretty impressive. Cordillero uh, is a guy who a lot of people are excited about. Here's my issue with it, though. Um as, even though it was Hope Solo, uh, who was a candidate for, for U.S. soccer uh, president, um, she felt the Athlete Council was influenced by outside forces. Um, who knows what that means, but it, it's it's interesting to note here that this is a guy who um, a lot of people are excited about. And when you have people excited about uh, a guy with the kind of experience that Cordero has... Um, That's kind of the important part of this. My issue with it is that I don't know. Listen, the U.S. obviously didn't qualify for the World Cup. That's why they made these big changes. But how are we going to be able to tell? Are we going to be able, as U.S. soccer fans, are we going to be able to tell in the next month, in the next year, next 18 months, exactly how he has affected U.S. soccer? Or are we going to have to wait another four years until the World Cup in 2022 to see what happens? So it's quiet optimism, and it should stay that way for the U.S. men's national team because they haven't really been much to boast about here over the last couple of years. As always, we appreciate you guys joining us here on Press Row. You can subscribe, rate, review, share us with your friends and family, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spreaker.com, Stitcher.com, and of course, Media.com. It's been a fun show. Big thanks to Robert Murray of FanRag Sports. Baseball is back. We're so pumped for it. We certainly hope you guys are as well. Uh, Next week, we'll touch on a little bit more, maybe some more baseball, maybe some more um, hockey, some more Olympic coverage as well. Uh, But we'll have to check in and tune in to find out. Until next week, guys, I'm Christian Heimel. I'll see you on Press Row.